Hey, I'm Cat Chaos. And I'm Liz Gomez, also known as Hazy. And you're listening to Scary, Scary Encounters, Encounters with Hazy Chaos. Chaos, a podcast where we talk to some of our favorite bands and artists as they share scary encounters they've experienced and live to tell. Hi, I'm Dominic Davi from Tsunami Bomb. And you're listening to Scary Encounters with Hazy Chaos. How are you doing? How's everything going? Good. It's, I mean, surprisingly for considering how difficult 2020, uh, how much of a dumpster fire this entire year is, <laughs> literally for us in California, mm-hmm. uh, a fire, things have been uh, pretty good. I mean, really busy, um, you know, Tsunami Bomb's entire plans for the year was just like, it was just rip up the paper and throw it away like everybody else. Did. Like, so that just threw everything out of whack. But as far as uh, working at all, I work at Alternative Tentacles Records uh, as my day job. And as far as that's going, it's been very busy um, trying to put out a lot of releases and reissues and a lot of exciting stuff with the label. So that's been challenging and different. But, you know, we're, we're I'm making it through, making it through, you know. You know, you just kind of try and find ways to make, interesting content and make fun things and put stuff out there for everybody, you know, and Tsunami Bomb's got some exciting stuff coming. That's awesome. It's something we're totally looking forward to. And, you know, it's really cool to hear that you're staying productive and, you know, trying to find a way to just keep the show going. Yeah, Yeah. we do. Yeah. Because we have the seven inch. We, uh, I know it hasn't been publicly announced, but I'm pretty sure I can talk about it (laughs) because by the time this airs, I think it's going to be announced, but uh, we have a seven inch coming out and we initially released a limited edition version to our s- street team, our, the bomb squad. So everybody that's on the bomb squad has access to this like hidden store that you can only get through in the password. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there was a couple things there. So we're going to put out shirts, like four shirts a year that you can only get there. And then like, so those are pretty exclusive designs that are like one offs. You only get them and then they're gone. And then, like, we have the limited edition version of the 7-inch. And it was it went beyond our wildest expectations for this 7-inch. We're so excited because already the orders are crazy. And it hasn't even been, as of now, hasn't been publicly announced because there will be a, a regular version of the 7-inch put out on alternative tentacles. So very excited for it to be actually officially announced. But among the bomb squad, they've already swooped in and grabbed a ton of them and it's paid for the whole limited edition version and i'm really excited and, you still uh, have some pretty it. good you know some pretty loyal fans out there huh yeah it mean, you know it's it's kind of it's <laughs> funny because yeah it's like tsunami bomb is one of those bands and this version of tsunami bomb is no different it's like there is no like meh fan like we don't have anybody that's like yeah they're okay it's either like it's three things it's either who <laughs> or, or like, nah, I hate it. I hate it. No, I hate it. For whatever reason, I hate it. And then they're, or outright like, this is awesome and ride or die. And they're like our favorite people like yourself, you know, that we meet and are, that are just care about the band as much as we care about it and makes it so special. So that's why we're constantly trying to find ways to make stuff uh, more interesting for everyone like that because we have people who feel so passionately and strongly about the music and the lyrics and the things we've done. Um, so we just try to make sure that that we try to be the band we always wanted to be into, you know, the kind of band we'd want, like, Oh, there's a secret store with a password that you can only get if you know, like awesome. Like, that's cool. Like I'm into that. Like I would love that. So Dude, I remember we, we when, when you guys had a, um, like a chat room, on your yeah. website way back in the day, right? Yeah, was, it was, uh, we still have a message board. <laughs> Do you? But yeah, the message board, yeah, it would be, you. You. so many people were there. Now it's hard because social media, like we have a Facebook group that everybody mm-hmm. talks in now and that's been fun because everybody's pretty directly responsive and we can ask questions and people like respond and let us know what they think and if they're down for it and that kind of helps us like, okay, maybe not that, but this, you know, and 
it's definitely affected stuff. So, as far as the, um, the shirt designs you guys drop, do you design them? Because I know you have your own graphic design business, right? Yeah, I designed some of them. You designed one of them oh, that yeah, we have in our it. store still. It's we awesome. both did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I design a lot of them. Uh, I try to open it up for other artists whenever possible, you know, especially if we have a budget. It's hard, you know, when we're not touring to have a budget for all this stuff. But um, I, I love drawing and designing our shirts and, and our merch. But at the same time, I also love having other artists doing it. Cause like, I love that Rotting Vampire Eyeball you did for us. I love it That so was a cool much. collaboration for mm-hmm. sure. Dude, it is a 1980s skateboard style. Oh, for like sure. design. It's like, I honestly, if we could make a Tsunami Bomb skateboard, that would be at the top of my list to put it on there. Dang, it's because be I think badass. it would look so sick as a skateboard to me. I'm about to put uh, Cat on blast real quick, but uh, <laughs> when, uh, when you asked her to be a part of the collaboration, oh, no. you know, she's like, yeah, of course. That sounds great. I, I'd love to. But she's like, dude, I just got asked to collaborate with Tsunami Bomb oh. for their shirt. And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Goals, we made it. hit you up for another one. Yeah, we should. Honestly, That'd be dope. Because I, lo- I love that design and uh, it's done really well. So. I went super old school with that, too. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, it I was such to. a good old reference. I had to. I had to. That song But I would have so... never thought of it. No. I would have never thought to do that. Like, that's why I love working with another artist. Mm-hmm. That's why I, w- I hope we can collaborate with more people because I would have never in a million years thought to make Rotting Vampire Eyeballs a t-shirt design. And yeah. it's so good. So if you're hearing this, like, you guys should go to tsunamibomb.net and look at the design she did for us. It's in our store, not the hidden one, the actual <laughs> store that we have up, and it's really good. So Dope. We got to do that again Cheers. soon. Yeah, that would be awesome. Totally. Yeah, because like I said, I don't think about things like that sometimes like because i'm too close to it you know it's like oh yeah for sure sometimes i see things that other people don't but then other times i'm like oh wow i would have never thought of a pizza ninja you know that <laughs> yeah, Keith Austin yeah. did for us it's like i just would have never like wouldn't have come to me that's dope that's cool so um okay so i know you also have a podcast right and it's called the uh, three gigs I have a few of them. The main one is three gigs. That's my baby. That's the one mm-hmm. I really love. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, that. Uh, it's a podcast that I came up with with my friend, and the idea he, he kind of gave helped give me the idea. My friend Glenn Rubenstein. I'm gonna give him a shout out for it. But uh, the idea was is to ask different performers, not just musicians, but since I know most musicians, it's mostly musicians. The idea was to ask a performer the story of their very first show their very best show, and their very worst show. And the idea was, is you want to get the moment that somebody was inspired to actually choose their performing art, since you're talking to a performer, like what made them want to do this? And then what is an example of a moment that to them, that feels where they feel complete, where they feel like this is what I've always striven for, like Mm. this feeling, this moment, what is it like on their version? You know, we all go to these shows and we're like, oh, this is an amazing show. What does that amazing show feel like for the person singing or playing guitar or the dancer or, you know what I mean? Like or the DJ, like what is their perfect show like? And then the worst show would be like, what's the moment that made you question? Why are you mm. doing this? You know, and, and then why you overcame that and kept going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so wow. you get these really in-depth stories from people that I think reveal more about each of them than they even expect. And then the best part is, is that with the podcast, people will start listening for their favorite artists. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'll put on like Libby Lux from Bridge City uh, Sinners and uh, they, they listen, you know, people listen to it or like, um, you know, me first in the Gimme Gimme's and people come Teenage Bottle Rock and they listen for that. Mm-hmm. But then you realize that some of the bands that you may not have heard of or the types of artists that you would not actually listen to, they all have stories. And it doesn't matter how famous you are. It just matters that you've performed. And everybody has these stories, these adventures. Like, you guys have these amazing stories of your first, best, and worst times you've ever performed. Everybody does. Yeah. So it's like I, I just wanted to create a podcast that felt like it was a bunch of performers on tour talking and sharing stories and that the listener gets to hear it. And then along the way, find out that you get a, a closer look at the kind of person um, that's in your favorite band or performance, you know? Mm-hmm. 
One of the most interesting episodes I ever got to do was with two porn actresses who talked about their first, best, and worst experiences uh, working as sex workers in, in, in porn. And it was interesting and kind of, you know, kind of, I guess, edgy compared to most of it, but they were so honest, you know, and a lot of it had to deal with how, for them, it was all about communication. The better they could communicate, the more they were into it, the more they connected with the other performers, the less that they could communicate, the more they potentially were hurt. And that's actually one of the things that was the most moving is their worst experiences often involved them being in pain. Mm-hmm. you know, or being hurt or feeling. So it was a whole different experience than talking to somebody who's like the guitarist for, you know, Radke versus, you know, the guitarist singer for Radke versus this performer, sex performer, who couldn't communicate with the person with them and gave them one of their worst experiences. And what it was like for them to audition, start to perform the first time, how nervous they were. Wow. Because I always thought like how much more they have to, like talking to them, I realized, how much armor I wore, wore as a performer. Like I'm hiding behind my clothes and my bass and the microphone and the speakers. And I'm in this zone with my other band members. But then I was like listening to these women talk to me about their stories. I was like, oh my God, you have nothing. It's like you, naked, camera, other person. And you have to, every movement you make is now being recorded and watched and consumed. Wow. And it was just a different experience. So, like, that was one episode that I really liked. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I, uh, it's called Three Gigs Podcast. You can find it on any platform. Uh, you can also find it on threegigspodcast.com. Sweet. Nice. Um, back to Tsunami Bomb really quick. You guys released a new album last year in 2019. Yeah. How was that? How was the creative process of that? since you guys kind of live in different areas. Yeah, it was a lot of, um, before we were talking, we kind of chatted and somebody mentioned like the postal service. There was a lot of sending back and forth. Um, we're really grateful for uh, GarageBand <laughs> and uh, being able to demos. Like, so it was interesting because whereas previous records, a lot of people ask about the demos and how uh, detailed the process were, was, by the time we demoed many of the songs for um, Trust No, uh, for uh, The Ultimate Escape, uh, or like even The Definitive Act, which I wasn't on, but I mean, the demos on those records are not that extensive or that different from the songs, whereas Spine the Binds and this next album have demos that really range as we experiment sending things back and forth. We have a lot of different versions of songs. Um, but it was definitely different. It was a different experience. Like every... Um, Every record, I feel like, has its own um, obstacles to overcome. And for, like, when we recorded uh, The Ultimate Escape, we were clashing with the producer the whole time. It was a miserable experience. Um, to A fight to kind of keep the band sounding the way we wanted it to. Whereas this one, like, the Spine the Fine, um, you know, it was more about, like, working with people's schedules and their locations, because anything we did had to be plot, plotted out and like someone had to fly in or go here, or be here just for this and trying to make it worth it and make it all happen. And we ended, when we got to the mixing stage of the record, I had all these, like all these tracks from all these different studios and sessions. And I kind of went to the mixing, our mixing guy Jack, and just like dumped it out of like, here, take it, help me sort this. And, well, uh, and uh, three years later. <laughs> yeah, right. No. It came together pretty quick, but there was a lot to go through because there were so many different, like, we recorded this over here and this over there, and this person was here and this person was there. It took, like, six or seven studios to do oh, that record. Wow. Wow. You know, so that was the challenge of that record. Um, initially, we had planned for the next album that we were all going to be in the same place at the same time to do it. I don't know if that's going to be completely the case, but it will be a lot fewer studios just because we're not obvious reasons we're not going to be able to potentially put ourselves in the same place unless mm-hmm. we like all quarantine for a while and you know take the steps but we'll, yeah. we'll work it out kind uh, of like the the nba right, right we right all now. quarantine and then then we're all like yeah we all quarantine for a while and then we all play together for a bit yep so if I don't you guys know, step be... out for like in and out or something you guys can't come back yeah in that's, the bubble. It. Have, that's it <laughs> Well, I guess we don't have a drummer. No, he went well. for it and out. <laughs> Thank no, God for uh, Garage Band and those drums there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we're we're passing things back and forth. Um, 
was how that album got written. And uh, I'm really excited to, to work. It, it's just so fun to work with these people, you know, like Oubliette was, is so under, under known as how incredible of a writer she is and how much she contributed to the sound. You know, it's like, I don't care what people think who think they know Tsunami Bomb because they don't necessarily know who wrote what and how things evolved and where the sound came from. And to be able to write with Gabe and Oubliette again has been the best thing to ever happen to me about this. Like this, this, it makes it all worth it. Like doing Tsunami Bomb again is to work with them and then to have Kate just blossom and learn how to be a front woman and and just become a more and more powerful singer every time. And then Andy, I've known forever, you know, he was there at the very first Tsunami Bomb show ever. Um, and then to have him be a part of it, it's just, it's really a, I mean, it can be challenging, of course. It's like nothing's easy because nobody's, we're not all around each other. Even on a normal, in normal life, we're not close to each other. Like we're all live so far apart and, it's not like we're all in the same town and we go to the practice space and work it out. Like, so it's, there's challenges, but um, they are incredible to work yeah, with. Yeah, really the outcome is really amazing. I remember when I discovered you guys, I think I was like 13, one of the first punk bands I got into, you know, and I remember I was obsessed and I would tell my friends, I'm going to work with them one day. I'm going to work with them one day. Like, they're going to be my friends, you know, and they'd be like, okay, Manifesting. Kat, okay, Kat, whatever, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, watch. <laughs> So then you guys broke up, and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, or you guys were broken up already, I think, when I discovered you, I want to say. I'm not sure. But, Probably um, pretty close. It, pretty it, close, it, right? It, there was a couple member changes towards the end as it kind of, like, yeah, petered out. Exactly. You know, but, oh, it, yes. I went to the last show. I don't think you were in the band anymore at the time. Mm-hmm. It was at the Glass House when they um, mm-hmm. recorded their DVD. And then that was it. And I was like, fuck, I have faith. Like, they'll get back together, you know? And then you did. You know, I helped set up that show. Did and then you? I didn't play it. Are yeah, you serious? Behind the scenes, I was the one that signed, like, signed the deal, got approved to do a video. Like, but by the time it, that it happened, I wasn't there, and I was like, when it came out, I was like, oh, son of a bitch, I remember doing this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I remember wow. prepping for all the paperwork for this. Man. You know, I, I, but I'll say this: we did miss you though at that one. I remember. But um, thank you, I appreciate it. I think they did a good job. Uh, they played. A, I will give a little shade. I think they played a little fast. Oh, and but, but, really fast. That. Like, um, it was a little fast. I was like, I like, remember you that to too. And you're like, whoa, okay. And I was like, <laughs> I, it was funny. At one point, the video came on when a bunch of us were like talking about stuff and looking at stuff online. And like, everybody looked at Gabe and he was like, I don't know. I was on tour. They said I played slow. I played fast. What do you want? From me? Oh my gosh. It was a fun show nonetheless. But Drummers, huh? it's really fun. No, it's, it was fun. I mean, even the members that aren't in the band anymore, it's not like I sit there and pretend they didn't exist or mm-hmm. that they weren't ta- as talented as they were. Like Emily is an amazing front woman. She's an amazing songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, she's doing great stuff on her own. Uh, I respect that she wanted to keep focused on that and it's okay. And Mike uh, was a fantastic guitarist. And then mm-hmm. Matt who replaced me is a really good bassist. He was very talented. You know, it was, it, that I, you know, I could go further with the ex members. There's point Brian Plink. There's like, you know, and we were lucky to play with Chris Forge. Oh, yeah. You know, like we've, you know, rest, rest, me, rest in peace, mm-hmm. you know, but like we've had some amazing people help Tsunami Bomb be Tsunami Bomb. And I'm really grateful for all of them. I'm not in a, I'm not in a mode where I'm like, oh, those guys. And it's like, mm-hmm. nah, those guys were amazing. And we were really lucky to play with them. And, you know, I, I miss them in some ways, and but I'm really happy with who I get to play with now. And it, yeah. And I think they've, you know, I think it's a great band, and I think I, I think it's doing interesting stuff, and I'm excited to show people what we have next. I mean, The Spine of Binds was our best-reviewed record ever. Nice. It, and I've been around for all of them. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, even the one I didn't play on, and it's like, I think they're all good in their own way. But I, we did not expect this Mind the Binds to get the reception it did. It, it was like we thought people would be like, okay, and then <laughs> and then later look back on it and go like, you know, this was a good record. You guys did a good job. You know, it took me a minute, but I kind of like it now. I didn't expect people to be like, what a come, you know, what a comeback. You know, yeah. there was a couple, there's a handful of people that were like, Germany didn't like it. People in Germany did not oh. like the record. Like the reviews in Germany were all like, I don't understand why they do this. <laughs> that is stupid. 
but like, <laughs> but they, they didn't, yeah, they didn't like us back in the day either. We got bad. Reviews. Oh. I don't think we've ever gotten good reviews in Germany. If oh, you how were, dare if you're they? And you're a German fan. There's a couple German fans I've met that are awesome and like us, but German reviewers like do not like us and still don't like it. So all the bad reviews came from Germany. But everybody else, I was just we were just blown away by how nice. how people were open to it people were. yeah i saw a couple of the reviews you guys shared and it was really like really good the reviews i remember that there but, was even people who were reluctant who were like yeah you know okay <laughs> <laughs> like all um, right then we'll take that speaking of chris though i remember i had first met him because the show you guys played with hazy chaos women of horror it was our first ever show in 26 show. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> it was in Pomona, and we were blown away when you guys agreed to do it. And one of the friends from high school that was like, what, you want to work with Sonami Wong? She was actually at the show. So it was oh, super awesome to see her show up with her older sister who took us to shows and stuff like back in the day, took us to Warp Tour where we saw you guys at Warp Tour. But, um, but that was an awesome show, and Chris was such a – cool guy he was so sweet and you brought him up he was so a sweetheart. Just, yeah he really yeah. was I mean, he, he he played he was uh, his band's from uh, 30 foot fall mm-hmm. uh from texas and they were uh, on nitro records for a long time and they were just an absolutely incredible band that always headlined uh yearly they kind of did what the vandals do in orange county where they play like a big show every year they would do the same around the holidays they would do the same mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was actually putting on our shows. He was promoting some of the shows in Texas when we did our first Texas run. And then when we found ourselves without a guitarist for this run, uh, Brian couldn't do it. But rather than let us, you know, like struggle, like when we were letting him know, like, okay, well, we're going to figure something out, but we're going to let you know this is what's up. He, he was like, I'll play. I'll do it. And, he and was then we got ass. out there. He was, he was good. So good. He so threw good. some extra little riffs in there for like old school songs, and I was like in the crowd because I know every song, you know. And I'm like, whoa, wait, that was different, but that was dope, you know. Like he yeah, was, he was lead. awesome. He was really yeah, good. Yeah, his leads were incredible. That's yeah. like kind of rare too, because normally when you know you have old school fans, they mm-hmm. want to hear the jam the way it is, you mm-hmm. know, like. This right. is the way I remember it, but if you can get an old school fan to be like, "Whoa, that was a new twist," but I like it. Mm-hmm. That's like he was he was awesome, pretty awesome. Yeah. He was just too talented, so he was he would throw in these like metal style lead mm-hmm. riffs, and like Sonata Bomb does have some metal roots in it, so it really does take to it. But it was like it would be, even we'd be playing up there and be like, "Whoa, what the yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like oh god." <laughs> Yeah, so he was awesome. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. He he was a really incredible player, and the distance, you know, and his his bands that he was playing in in Texas made it eventually difficult for us to like make him our guitarist, you know, because we were mm-hmm. so spread thin as it was to have a guitarist in Texas was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but he helped us so much, and then when we got Andy, it was great. And I was thinking of having him be on the album as a lead and come in. He would have recorded on the album for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we lost him, and uh, it was just heartbreaking. Definitely, Andy's a uh, pretty talented himself. He is. We saw him. Yeah. At yes. what It was one of. It was one of those shows where it was like in the back. It was what in was Long it? Beach. It was, it was Long like Beach? um in the back of the comic book store. No, it's a record store. A record store? Oh, the record store. Yes, record I know store, what you're talking yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it? Ta- taco? No. No. Something. Toast? It was a funny toast? name. It was a funny name. To- but toast? The Toast. Yeah, something Toast. To- like, I don't know. I forget. But they had a lot of cool stuff. It's on the tip of my tongue. I could look it up and I know. You're going to remember when we hang up, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll wait up. I'm so toxic to- toxic, toxic Toast. Toxic Toast. Is it? Is it Toxic um, Toast Records in I Long wanna, Beach? I want to say it they're, is. You know their owners pretty, are probably like, it's the toxic toast. I know, toast they're yelling. Dude, I'm pro- they're probably getting so mad. They're listening. They're pissed they're right so now. Mad. <laughs> there is a wonderful record mm. store that does shows when they can mm-hmm. in Long Beach. Everyone should support that place. It's that a great a record time. store. That's a good spot, yeah. man. It was a lot of room, a decent stage, and, like, mm-hmm. you know, you guys are – doing your thing it was really fun to watch and like i said andy like awesome guitarist yeah, and he is super yeah, sweet guy i remember uh when we started the rukas and you know we're all throwing oh, out yeah. ideas on what to cover and cat's like let's do not forever and i'm like well of course how you know yeah, I'm not we, gonna, have to. we have to cat's like <laughs> super like 
she's been trying to get this band started and like let's have some fun so we're finally doing it you know she's like not forever i'm like yeah of course so i guess uh you hit up andy right yeah i just hit him up and i was like hey we started a band and we want to cover not forever would you be down to show us how you play it and he sent us a video a tutorial of him playing the whole song it was really so it's like a little, our personal tutorial yeah, which was we literally cool. learned it from andy you know yeah. so it was cool we played it pretty similar to how he showed us in yeah, the video I mean, at least i try yeah <laughs> it's a crazy little song it's it a is. little it's yeah it's, it's a little it's a little nuts especially sorry. on bass in that chorus sorry <laughs> if i play it too fast <laughs> <laughs> it's, play a, it fast it's a good want. time though it's a good time yeah super cool but anywho so what we're here for yes is to hear some scary encounters that you've experienced I have a few. <laughs> Sorry, I've been dying to push that button. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Everyone's really, everyone's really happy for us to get like to the paranormal excited. part of it. Yeah. There are two types of people: well, yeah. those ones and super like this. I'm kind of nervous right now. I'm gonna sage the room, kind of yeah, type. I'm gonna you know? pray. <laughs> you know, it, I, you know, it's funny. I was raised in a in a my mother's uh of irish descent my father's sicilian descent and both sides of my family were very spiritual and definitely uh believe in uh supernatural experiences and i've been fortunate to you know have a quite a few experiences and i got to know um one of the ghost hunters who now has her own show kindred spirits but my friend amy bruni and I've gotten to talk to her a little bit about like her experiences. I think she's about to put out a book too, like what she's learned and stuff. Nice. I think that's one of the questions I once asked her. I was like, "You've been on all these ghost hunts. Like, what have you learned? Tell me that." And <laughs> then she started telling me stuff. It was amazing. <laughs> but um, but yes, I've definitely seen some things, and I think people get very scared of things they can't explain and don't understand, mm-hmm. and it seems frightening. But I would say that like. Though we call it supernatural, there's nothing supernatural about it. It is part of the world we live in. It is part of the natural world we live in. Just because you don't understand it. Like, you may not understand why a chameleon can change its skin or an octopus can move on tentacles and how that particularly works. But And it might seem frightening, but it's really just something, it's just another part of what makes this world amazing. So you can be terrified of it and run from it, but really it's, it's not, I mean, of course things are scary. There's things that are things to be wary of, but I mean, really it's, it's just another amazing part of the world we live in. And totally. I think that too many people could sit there and be like, Oh, excuse me. You know, it's like, yeah. hey, calm down. It's okay. It's okay. You know? <laughs> no. Yeah. Actually but, there's um, different types of experiences. You know, obviously some people have a couple more, like more frightening experiences. I can actually talk about mm-hmm. one time that, um, you know, my grandfather passed away when I was, I want to say 21, and I couldn't make it to his funeral. But um, so I was home alone and I'm sitting in front of the computer. We didn't even have Wi-Fi, so I'm like there playing like a computer game, just Solitaire. like, Solitaire. yeah, you know, whatever, yeah, just trying to pass time. And I saw my grandpa just like behind me walk from the left to the right of in me. In the reflection. In the reflection of the computer. And... I got scared because it's like, you know, I'm seeing this man, my grandpa, walk behind me and I just freak out, you know, at first because I'm like, well, what was that? But then I'm like, oh, man, like I couldn't be there. So you, it felt like he came to visit me. You know, that was a very beautiful That's exactly moment. what he did. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. I mean, as soon as you started saying that, I was like, he came to check on you mm-hmm. before he had to move on. Exactly. I mean, that's oh my gosh. wonderful. I got what the chills gift. right now. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's like that could be terrifying for people, but it's also like. What a gift. It's beautiful. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. A gift to, 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 now you will remember that, that he came, like, uh, by everything that was happening to him and the experience that he was going through, he made sure to check in on his granddaughter that he loves, mm-hmm. that he knew couldn't be there, so he made sure to be there. And I mean, that's, that's kind of beautiful to me. It is. But yeah. I know, like you said, like somebody listening to that is like, fuck that, that's terrifying itself. <laughs> but I think, yeah. it's, I think it's kind of a beautiful thing. And I think it's just how you, it's, I guess it depends on how you choose to embrace it. Exactly. But like, you know, we always, um, Oubliette, especially myself, uh, in the early days, we were, I felt like we represented the more gothy version of it. Now she probably laughed at that because as far <laughs> as she's concerned, I'm like 
some I was like some sort of pop punk ska kid. But like I was thinking like you know, an emo kid kinda. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that's a reference to the message board. That's a reference to the chat going on. We can cut this out. <laughs> no, no, no. You leave that in. Uh you know. You just I'll, told I'll, me I'll fuck own you. That. I'll own that. I'll own that. Guess who's not uh, making another shirt? I know. I'm What's sorry. About? <laughs> oh no, no, that's all right. I was just expected to be an emo shirt. Um, <laughs> but we were always really fascinated by that. Whereas some parts of it, uh, some parts of the band were either ambivalent, mildly curious, or straight up like no, 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 no. But mm-hmm. uh, I remember we had this guidebook that Adria brought on tour that talked about all these haunted places in America. So generally, wherever we were, we started reading stories about something nearby. And if we could go there and see it, or check idea. out the bridge, so or the road, cool. or something, we would look for things and try and see stuff. I don't think we ever saw anything that way. But um, there's been a couple times I've experienced a few things. And I think because Tsunami Bomb, I'll tell the Tsunami Bomb, um, the Tsunami Bomb story. Um, this, I, I again, it's been a minute since I told this. There's an episode of Three Gigs where I tell this very well that I worked really hard to make sure to tell it, tell it right. But I'm going to do my best right now because for some reason it's kind of hard to remember sometimes. But it did happen, and I wasn't the only one there. And I've checked the story out with everybody, with as many people who were actually there as I could. And Tsunami Bomb, this was back. Uh, it was horribly at, left the band. She was in the band. And we were on tour with a band called Counterfeit from San Diego. And we had gotten to uh, the Illinois area. Um, And the promoter there, I I thought his name was like Dan, but I guess it was Chris. I think it was Chris was his name. Uh, We had become pretty close with him. He was a really great guy. He would put on shows for us in this town of Danville, uh, Illinois. And... uh, Everybody would always ask us, like, why aren't you playing Chicago? Why are you playing Danville? I was like, dude, the shows are packed. We're happy. Like, everybody's mm-hmm. coming out. Like, it doesn't, you know, we're in the area. Yeah. So we fans. would most, there was a, a good while where we were playing before we played, like, the Metro or um, there was a bowling, bowling, a play, a bowling alley that did shows. Before we did those places, we were doing the, the suburbs and Danville because of this guy, Chris, who put on shows. And, uh, we didn't often stay with people at people's houses when we were touring um, because I, we tended to notice really quick that women punk musicians seemed to get a weird response, like would draw the creepy out of people. Like they would just get weird. Even promoters, they would see it's just something about it. They just, you know, they get all weird about it. They would, we, and then they'd act weird when we'd show up and, and it, we wouldn't exactly all feel safe. Like it just made us uncomfortable, made the girls uncomfortable. Um, it's something about like seeing them on stage, you know, and watching them perform and then seeing them in your house on your couch, you know, and it's like, you know, after the show hanging out and they were just like, we'd had guys be like, well, there's only so much water. I mean, we should all take a shower together or like oh, try no. and corner them or talk or talk their ears off so they couldn't go to sleep. They would just sit there talking, talking, talking. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, so eventually we just decided that we weren't going to stay at people's houses anymore, and we gave up on per diems and used the money we would have eaten with to pay for hotels. But um, Chris was different. You uh, got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just, why, be, why feel weird? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, just go someplace safe. So for us, our band, even though we were pretty, you know, pretty punk rock, especially at the time, like we would have, we were, we were crashing on people's places. It just became more, we felt more comfortable that maybe it was just better for having our own hotel space. So that became something that was more important to us than it would have been to other bands. But for us, it worked. Um, but Chris, we felt different with. He was a great guy. We knew him really well. He was a good friend of the band. And he invited us to his place to stay. His parents weren't there. He lived at home, but he said he had a space underneath the house that was all his own. So we follow him after the show, both bands, and we end up in this little suburban house uh, on this very suburban street that you could see anywhere in America. And as we're walking up the front to get to the front door, he suddenly turns right where the kind of garage would stick out in a house. But then there was a door and it led down these stairs into this basement that was his apartment. 
But as we get down into the basement, it's a really cool space with like a large shower, its own bathroom. But then it had this like shelf dividing up this massive, like part of the basement was built up like an apartment. And then there was spaces of the basement that were still basement. But it had its own shower and bathroom and we had plenty of room for everybody. And it had this long shelf along the, as you come in, the left side that divided the room off of the rest of the basement, you know. And in that shelf was all these toys, like kids' toys. And uh, I just somebody asked him like at one point, like, hey, dude, what's up with the toys? And he's like, oh, yeah, well, my mom used to run a preschool here. And this used to be her preschool space. But she stopped doing that, and I kept turning this into my apartment. But I haven't, I just haven't gotten rid of all those toys. You know, it's like some of these toys I grew up with, I, I don't know, they're, they're fine there. I just leave them there. I don't care. You know, and it was cool. So we're like, oh, crazy. Okay. So we're all hanging out and talking. And then, uh, and it's fine because it's late at night. His parents aren't home. We're not bugging anybody. And eventually, one by one, people like take showers, do this, get ready. And, kind of fall asleep and it gets kind of quieter and quieter and everyone he goes to bed in his bedroom and everyone beds down in this large room next to the toys and the shelf and then the stairs that go up to the outside uh door and then now i can only speak for myself but other people heard things too but sometime during the night i woke up and i heard a right above my head which turns out to be where the kitchen was i heard the sound of footsteps somebody was walking around pulled a chair out and sat down to hear the squeaking. I heard noises because it's very like thin floor above. There's no insulation or anything. It's just, you know, basement ceilings. You could hear somebody walking around up there and moving chairs and like, clinking of utensils and everything. I didn't think much of it. I was like, oh, maybe somebody is home. Or or I even thought maybe Chris went upstairs to eat or something. I don't, I don't know. You know, I just heard noises, but it sounded pretty uh, innocuous. So I fell back asleep, and then the next morning, we all start waking up, and everyone's, like, taking showers, getting ready, because we're going to drive. And um, people are going, some people are going in showers upstairs, some people are going in showers, showers downstairs, you know, everyone's getting ready. Um, at one point, one of the members of Counterfeit asked Chris, like, hey, man, I thought you said your parents weren't home. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, they're not home. He's like, I don't know, man, somebody's up there, I heard noises all night. And he goes, you did? And I was like, actually, I did too. I totally heard somebody walking around, I guess, right above me. And he goes, yeah, the kitchen's above you. He goes, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what it sounded like. Somebody sat down and was eating, like, uh, like super early this morning. It's like, when? And I was like, I was like, I don't know, probably like five in the morning. I think I woke up. You know, it was pretty early. And he's like, he he makes this face, and he just looks like uncomfortable and sad. Hmm. And we're like, what's what's wrong? And he goes, okay, so, you know, I told you that my mom used to run a preschool here, right? And I was like, yeah. He goes, well, the reason she stopped is there was this one kid that she raised from when he was an infant. His mother and father moved into the neighborhood about uh, two blocks away. And he, they used to drop him off to, so they could work when he was a baby. And he basically spent every morning in this house Justin was like a member of the family. Um, he would come in in the morning when he got old enough and he'd pour himself a bowl of his favorite cereal that my mom would buy for him. And he would be here before any of the other kids because his parents had to go to work earlier. And then she would be, he would be the special kid. Like of all the kids, that was my mom's favorite. Like he was here for years. And one day there was a car accident down the road. We could hear the crash and a garbage truck had smashed into the side of his mother's car and it killed Justin instantly. The mother survived and they eventually moved away. My mother was completely heartbroken. Um, couldn't do it. Couldn't do this anymore. Just took the wind right out of her sails and that's when she stopped doing the preschool. But afterwards, in the months that followed, we started noticing that we would hear noises in the kitchen. We would hear the door open. We would hear footsteps. And then we'd see his favorite cereal out on the counter. Oh my God. Like we would see different signs that seemed like he was here. And we started realizing that Justin might be. You know, my mom and I both tried to talk to him. But we never got a response. But he would come in. And it's like we think that he still comes in because this is what he knows. You know, and it's definitely painful 
for my mom and he goes, I love that kid. Um, but you know, I think that might be what you hear because my parents are not home. And if you heard him at about five in the morning, pull out his chair, I bet I'm going to go up there and I'll see uh, signs that he was there. Oh my gosh. You know, and he, and he even said something like, you know, I, I still remember him every day in his favorite red hoodie. He'd show up and describe him as a little boy, you know, just, they just loved him. And then when he died, it just took the wind out of their family. And, uh, and later he eventually used the empty space that was no longer a preschool for his, his apartment to help save money while he's going to college. So everybody's really quiet and totally feeling crazy. You know, like, wow, that's heavy. And the fact that all of us, so many of us had heard noises above us and were woken up by like noises of somebody moving around. And the fact that it could have been this little boy named Justin, you know, it's like that's just wild. And then Mike, our guitarist came back in the room from being in the shower and obviously started catching the end of this conversation, but didn't know what was going on. He's like, Oh, what are you guys talking about? It's like, Oh, just some stuff. And everybody's like, Whoa, you know? Yeah. The vibes. But then, at this point. As Mike's putting his stuff away, he goes, Hey man, I thought you said your family wasn't home. Mm. I think I saw your little brother sitting on the stairs. Oh my God. And, and everybody's and Chris is like, what? He goes, yeah, you, it was a little boy on the stairs with a red hoodie. Oh my God. And, uh, and everyone's, are you serious? Are you serious? Are you messing with us? And he's like, no. And he's like, are you serious right now? And he's like, no, what are you talking about? And then when he found out, he just panicked, freaked. He goes, I don't, and the, he was like trying not to be rude, but he was terrified. He's like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. But the rest of us were just like, oh my God. He was sitting oh. on the stairs watching us in the night. Oh my God, I have the chills. And that is not a story that I heard from someone else. Yeah. It's not one I got like secondhand. It's not an urban legend. That was a story that everybody in Tsunami Bomb at that time witnessed. And and Oubliette was there. And Mike was there. Emily was there. Gabe was there. We all saw it. All the members of Counterfeit. Wow. Do they Danville, all remember Illinois. it? Do they remember till this day? They all remember it. Yeah. Oh, when I did the three gigs episode to tell the story, because uh, I have like I tell ghost stories on three gigs around Halloween. Oh, okay. Uh, then uh, when I told that st- when I told the story, I typed it up and I made sure to send it to everybody that I could, you know, that you know, I still talk to, and uh, see what they said about it. And they were all like, "No." <laughs> Mike was like, "Fuck this! Yes, that's exactly what happened. I don't want to talk about it anymore." <laughs> oh, <my laughs> He's like God. that was crazy. But both both Juliet and uh, Gabe were both like, "Yep." That's pretty much how I remember it. You know, I might I might have some details wrong, but that's pretty much it. I was there. And I heard the noises. I did not see the kid on the stairs steps. But apparently there was a kid on the steps watching all the bands sleep. Man, that's pretty cool. That's always like such a trip when um I mean it's one thing for you to see these kind of things on your own, you know, or experience it on your own, but when there's a group of you or just two of you mm-hmm. that see the same thing, you know, it's like did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> Did and you you're hoping that, that they you know? didn't. That way it's just you. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm just seeing shit. But then when they did see it, you're like, oh, shit. I think that there's was... been times like we're like at our old place where me and Kat used to stay where, you know, Kat will hear something. She said, did you hear that? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, Everything's no. cool. <laughs> go back to bed. It's fine. No, no. Just go back to bed. And then see, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's more, I think, along the lines of how long the lines of like how Gabe and Mike were reacting <laughs> Or Emily, but like uh, Oubliette and I were like, tell us more, you know. Like <laughs> we were all like, all oh, right, like you know. I mean, now I have like a recorder, like oh, for nice. you know recording both practices, but also like recording. I can turn up the microphone really high and do EVP sessions. You know, I've done a couple things, and some things are fine. I've found some weird things, but nothing crazy. But. Um, that was definitely one of the most heartbreaking, but also like incredible experiences because I had the story and everything in it. And then it lined up with somebody who hasn't seen it. And to this day, Mike was like, I did not hear you guys talking. And that story totally left me speechless. Um, <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, this is so sad. But like, oh my God, you guys are making that contact, you know? Like, man, I, di- I didn't know how to feel in that moment. I was like super 
intrigued, but at the same time, yeah. like super heartbroken. You know, so it's maybe, it's a crazy story. It made me sure. feel some type of weight on my chest. I lost my nephew; he was eight years old, and I kind of thought of that in a in a um, car accident as well. So when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh! Do you know how old he was? He's about seven. Oh eight, wow! Yeah. See, it's it, it kind of hit home, you know. So yeah. it kind of felt like a weight, like oh my gosh, like. And I've seen my nephew too, you know. It's been a yeah. while, but I have seen him, and I think I'm dreaming. But then I'm like, okay, when am I gonna wake up? And I'm awake, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's a trip. It, it I think if you open sure. yourself up to those kind of things, you can train yourself to perceive for sure and open up. And it's not. And I don't buy that it's a hallucination. I mean, you can make yourself see and hear everything, and you can read it. And if you're looking for something, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. If you want to find it, like, and I've had, and I'm pretty skeptical. Uh, I've had people show me some stuff, and I was just like, I can't verify that. You know, I can't verify that at all. Yeah. But I've also seen other things that I can't explain. Um, if you want another one, mm-hmm. please. Oh, we do. <laughs> Uh, I mentioned my friend, uh, this total name drop, but I mentioned my friend Amy Bernie, who is a professional paranormal investigator and has TV, has been on multiple shows for it. One time I was lucky enough to go on a, uh, a paranormal investigation with her wow. and uh, some of the members of the Ghost Hunters. Oh, nice. Uh, cool. And it was interesting because they decided to come to Petaluma, California, which is where I'm uh, I'm pretty much from there, and Tsunami Bomb is definitely from there. And, there, you know, we all grew up at a venue called the Phoenix Theater. And it's a pretty legendary place, and it's known to be very haunted. It's, uh, it was a movie theater at one time. Before that, it was a vaudeville theater, kind of an opera house. It has long history in Petaluma being a centerpiece of the town. And now it's a youth center, and it does shows. And... Um, it was a very busy, crazy scene when I was growing up there. And Amy and I both come out of that place, much like everybody in Tsunami Bomb. At this point, with the exception of Andy, who grew up in the, mid, in the valley, and then Kate, who grew up in San Jose. But the core of Tsunami Bomb is, is from the Phoenix Theater. That's our home. Okay. And that's also just for, you know, just for, like, ceremonies from that area. AFI is from that area. Tiger Army is from that area. So, you know, it's like it's got kind of a darker, there's there's a bit of a darker punk thing that comes from that scene or used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, many years ago, they decided to do a public ghost uh, investigation, paranormal investigation to the public. And I came because I was doing a collaboration of T-shirts for uh, with Amy that she could sell. And then so I was invited. And plus I was a phoenix kid so i was like hanging out while all these people including some professionals do a paranormal investigation of this place now if you grew up there you grow up hearing tons of stories i know tons of people who've heard footsteps there was one night i was hanging out after a show with tom gaffey who ran the place and we started seeing flashing lights like a weird flash like almost like somebody testing a camera flash but there's nobody in there and we followed it through the whole venue, all the way to the back, uh, to the back room, like these flashing lights that was just just on the other side of the room, and no matter where we were. Uh, countless stories of footsteps, noises, laughter, even to the point of people getting scratched. You know, there's stories of that in our actual, actual physical contact, uh, people seeing things. There's a long history. It's a, definitely an epicenter. There's a number of personalities in there. They've had psychics in there who have described personalities in different parts of the theater, people who grew up in Petaluma that recognize the building, but not much else. Um, yeah. Have, uh, well, what's the history behind that? Have people passed away there? Um, why is it so haunted? I think because it's one of the oldest buildings in Petaluma. Gotcha. It's one of the things that are like a constant. Mm-hmm. And in an ever-changing world, if you're in a very dreamlike state, if you're in a state that's not completely conscious, because I've heard from a number of people and had a number of people express to me to think about in terms of what it might be like to be a ghost or a spirit as a very dreamlike experience. Mm. You know, very like think of a dream that you can't wake up from. Your sense of time and perception is skewed. You're a little unsure, but then if you see something familiar, you hang on to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the Phoenix Theater would be a constant familiar familiar thing. Yeah, that kind of reminds so me of a American Horror Story season one. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. kind of. I mean, I think some of those things were pulled from very real totally stuff. I mean, I don't know if they would have Black Dahlia suddenly walk into their house for uh, sweeps sweeps week. <laughs> but I mean, like it's a fun show. But I mean, at the same time, yeah, there's a certain amount of connection to something familiar and holding on to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like somebody's uh, a, like a certain moment being on repeat. You know, you, like maybe a spirit doesn't know that they have died yet, and you know they're just reliving that moment over and over again. Which is why sometimes we'll see replays or spirits do get drawn to certain locations because they're so familiar with that place. So you know, I like I, to I think of it. The way it's been described to me is that the state would be similar, like I said, to a dream. You're an echo. You are an echo of yourself at that point. Um, I think you wouldn't experience time, much like how you remember a dream being fuzzy, where you you accept certain elements, even though they don't make any sense to you, but you accept them and you move around them in your dream and you're caught up in the moment. And sometimes the time shifts. Like you can be at one place in your dream and all of a sudden you're in another place in your dream, but you accept it. You don't freak out. You don't panic. You're just in the dream. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know always what's going on, but you write it out, watching it all unfold in front of you in this dream. I, I've been told that that's sort of what you kind of could potentially, it could potentially be like. You're just sort of and disoriented and a little bit in a dreamlike state. You're just sort of floating. Man. But... In this particular instance, um, a number of teams after a certain presentation ended up spreading out around the Phoenix Theater to do investigations. Each team had a professional who was guiding it. And at one point, I found myself going underneath the main stage. Uh, the way the Phoenix Theater works, it's a very large theater, very large. Um, and it has a, a green room in the back. But it also has one underneath the stage. Like when you go to the side of the stage, there would be stage left. And you go over to the side, but right if you're looking at the stage. You go to the right, and there's stairways that go up, back onto the stage, side of the side stage. And then if you go left, you're on the stage. And if you go right, you're in the room where the bands usually stay. They load in, put their equipment. That's usually where they hang out. But there's another section. Uh, if you, instead of going up the stairs, you could go through a door downstairs into a downstairs basement green room. And in there, if you go through a door, you come into a basement area where there's a heater. Uh, the heater's down there, the furnace, and it's underneath the main stage. And it's basically a cement, small cement room in the dark. It's like a single bulb light the room so you can work on the furnace and if you turn around and look back towards the theater floor you're underneath it and you see the dirt below the floor and really if you look you see tons of old old cigarette butts that have fallen through the planks of the floor Hmm. as years of people when they could smoke in there would would smoke at a show so the dirt just has like lots of cigarette butts spider webs all sorts of stuff and it stretches off into the darkness until it fades into black but there's this little concrete room. And Tom had already has always said that there's a lot of people that feel that there's something down there. And he had a couple experiences that are stories in of themselves of things that happened. And so when we went down there, the group I went down there did went down to do an EVP. I was with Amy herself, and she set down two flashlights. And what they do is they unscrew these like mag-like flashlights, these small pen lights. So that just by touching them, if you like touch them, they light up and you touch them again, they go dark. You just unscrew it so it's real sensitive. And then they set down like two or three of them. And then they would sit there and let everybody settle down, start recording. And then they would say things like, you know, they'd ask questions. And one of the things she started doing, she's like, is there anybody here? If there's anyone here, please touch the light below me. If you just touch it, it'll turn on. And if you touch it again, it'll turn off. And boom, the light went on. Hmm. And there was like a green one and a red one. She's like, could you tap the red one now, please? And then tap the red one. It would go on and go off. And so she started having a question and answer thing about like, is there someone here? Are you from this town? Like, And they would respond. You know, they got a code going. And I looked at her and I was like, this is crazy. And she goes, it doesn't usually happen this fast. 
wow. like immediately something was touching these little flashlights blew, blew everyone away right um everyone's just because like, she'd be like are there more than one of you here tap one for yes tap the green one for yes the red one for no and the green one would tap yes there are more than one of us here you know it's like stuff like that it was just an amazing experience. So then it came time where that group had to leave and another group had to come in. And it, this next group was an EVP center group. The two people who were in charge of it were special, uh, professional, like as professional as you can get as far as making EVP recordings. I don't remember their names. I think one of them was named Mike. I forget the woman's name. It was a couple. They were very nice. And I decided that since I hadn't paid I wasn't one of the paid people. I didn't have to follow any rules. I was a guest and I grew up in this place. I'm not leaving this room. This room is a hot spot. Like I'm totally staying here. This oh is, whatever's happening in this room, this is crazy. So I sit down away from uh, when I initially started, I was sitting next to Amy at the front of the right by the door. And this time I go into one of the cement benches that go along the sides of the room around the furnace. And I sit where, where to my back is the floor of the theater, which stretches out into the darkness. Okay. And so they set up their recording and they start, you know, they, they hit record and then we all start having a conversation, you know, it's like, we're going to introduce ourselves to you. We want to know if there's anybody here. And so it went around the room and everybody introduced themselves and it got to me and I said, hi, my name is Dominic Davy. I grew up here at the Petaluma Theater, uh, Petaluma, and I grew up here at the Phoenix Theater. Uh, I've heard stories for years that people have been here. I know that there are people here. And I'm just interested in hearing what you have to say. When they played it back, there was no response to anybody except for mine. When I, you heard me say that exact same thing, but when I said, hi, my name is Dominic Davi. I am from, I grew up here in Petaluma and I grew up here at the Phoenix Theater. And right after I said that, you hear this very distinct, you did. Ew. And everyone's like, oh. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. So we start asking questions and it turns out it only responds most of the time, most of the time, because you hear noises, you hear like, and you hear like a clicking and you hear like just different words and sort of murmurs you couldn't make out, but you could always hear it when I spoke, when I record, when I said something like, yeah, when I talked about the Phoenix, or the Petaluma, or like growing up here and growing up in the town, it definitely responded to me. At one point in the night, as we continue conversations, because they'd ask a bunch of questions, hit stop, and then play it back. And at one point, they asked, where are you in the room? And when it came back, they played that question back. And keep in mind, we are in the dark, just watch this. They play it back, and you hear a voice, and they it responds. And she goes, I think it said, behind Mike's neck. And Mike was the guy, the, her husband. And she goes, that's so funny, Mike. And he's like, yeah, it is. She goes, well, guys, Mike hurt his neck. So it's talking about Mike's neck. Like he, they, It knows he hurt himself. And they're like, everyone's like, oh, wow, crazy. And he goes, yeah, I hurt my neck. I got whiplash in a minor accident. I mean, I'm fine, but my neck does hurt. And I'm sitting there in the corner in the dark, and I'm like, that's not what it said. And they're like, what? I was like, it did not say that. Play it again. We played it again. That time was a little easier. I said, it's saying I'm behind Dominic. And oh. I turn around. No. And all you can see is the darkness of the, under the floor of the theater into the dirt going out into the dark. They ask again, are you behind Dominic? And it says, yes. And then I swear to you, I feel a touch on my arm, fingers that are freezing cold just for a minute, just a quick rush like that, like on my arm. Now, I didn't imagine it because I felt the pressure of the fingers as something touching me. Trying to possibly be reassuring, but touching me with icy cold fingers in the dark underneath the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, California. 
something reached out and just let me know that it was behind me. Wow, man. So what'd you do after? I was calm. I was like, okay, okay, no touching, no touching. Uh, no, let's not, let's not touch. Uh, I, another group apart, came please. in. <laughs> Around that time, the group, that group ended, another group came in, and they were asking a lot of questions, like firing questions at it, like another EVP session. And it started responding at first, but then it started getting a little bit more confused, and people were like, it was just a little too much. And I feel it felt like it had just about exhausted itself, you know, because at that point it had been a couple hours. So I decided to move on to another group and, and leave the room. So I didn't really want to be groped anymore. You know, I was like, mm -hmm. that's enough touching. But I was like, okay, that's enough. And so I, I left during that third group's session down there. And they said they got a bunch of stuff. Um, but I was, I was ready to move on and check out other parts of the theater. And I had most of the fun of the night was watching people explore the theater and really enjoy it you know somebody got some weird shadows and some weird photo you know in their pictures and that's hard to verify but it did look really interesting um but that was my experience but i've had other stories of the phoenix but that is the most directly communicative experience that's pretty crazy would you ever go back oh yeah i've been back since <laughs> yeah under I've there? been in that room since. Oh, oh yeah, I've oh. been in that room since. Oh, I, you don't mind. I grew up there. That's where I started playing music. I love that yeah, building. Yeah. I have a phoenix, a tattoo of a phoenix that represents that building. Because wow. that's like, nice. it's a very important, like uh, Davey Havoc sang about it in AFI's song, Days of the Phoenix. Like It's a very important place to those of us who grew up there. Because it was always open to all the kids of the, you know, it's like, and I know that not as many kids go to shows now as they used to up there, but once upon a time, every kid in town, Fridays and Saturday nights, you were there. So, yeah, that place is my home, and I'm not afraid of it. But it was definitely, like, more than even the Justin experience, and it happened after that. More than that experience, it was definitely the one that really raised the hairs on the back of my neck and gave me chills. That, that was a time that definitely did. Wow. That's pretty crazy. I feel like that makes that spot even more special. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty incredible place. Well, well man, uh, throughout this whole time that you were, you know, telling your story, I, I was just like mouth open, like, oh, my God, just listening. <laughs> like, oh, my God, this is so crazy. Both and, of your stories gave yeah, me chills. Super Goosebumps. <laughs> my hair grew back on my legs, everything. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. Well, it's for only a good those. story if you have to if you have to shave out. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it's crazy. Wow. Loved it. I'm sure you have plenty more. Maybe we can do a part two. Yeah, I have eventually. a few more, but those are my two two those are my two best stories. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple other little little glimpses, but those those are those are my two. Nice. Those are my two. So, thank you for letting me tell them. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. Oh my god, thank you so, so much for sharing that with us. You got you got pretty personal and R.I.P. Justin. I think his name was right. Yep. Poor Justin. Yeah, Justin. Yeah. I don't know what the name of the of the spirit that's yeah. underneath the, the Phoenix theater stage. But I often think about it like, cause it's still sitting. I mean, I don't know. Is it still there sitting under there in the dark waiting for under you? the furnace waiting for anyone? Wow. That's a trip. Somebody who grew up, lived and died in Petaluma and loved that theater now hides underneath the stage in the dark below the floor. When people go in and watch a show, it's underneath. Wow. Whole time. That'd be a really cool, like, comic book or, like, comic strip or, I don't know, a well, drawing. That, that'd be a good I did spot do, to be I, stuck at, actually, because then you can see all the shows yeah. and see music change. I did do a comic book called Come Find Me that's up on Comixology, oh. and I saw it shows. Uh, it's a 12-page ghost story that happens in Petaluma. What? Uh, and it happens at the Phoenix Theater. It's not that story. It's another story. Nice. But it's based off a bunch of different tales, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyone who wants to read it, it's another ghost story. It's called Come Find Me by me, Dominic Davy. You can look it up on comicsology.com uh, where they have comics. On, that's Am uh, It's on Amazon. And you can find a 12-page mini-comic for I think like three bucks or something. Do you have an like, uh, art cover for that? Or is it just a story? Uh, yeah, I, have, I, can, I can send it to you. Or, yeah. yeah. I don't know if I have one. Yeah, no worries. That way... Maybe. We we could post it, you know, and just like share the cover and like you know encourage yeah, people to I go read it. Yeah, I can send the cover. 
Sweet. It's a little. It's a story about a a, a punk rock kid that's going to a show uh, in the early two thousands, and he meets a girl uh, at the Phoenix Theater, and she has more of a story than he expects, especially Ooh. when he tries to go visit her again and find her and find her house. The whole story is called "Come Find Me." Ooh, awesome. I think I know what happened. <laughs> Ooh, I'm excited. I'll send you, I'll send you the book and the cover and everything. I'll send you guys a copy of it. All right, sweet. I'd thank you that. so much. Again, thank you so much for joining us, making time for this. I know you're busy. and We please. feel very special that we you're do. on the show today. Yeah, so. definitely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be on it. And come on, a podcast about paranormal experiences and ghost stories, real ones, I'm in. Right. You had me at hello. <laughs> I have to go change my chonies now. I gotta go shave. My <laughs> I got scared. I'm gonna go shave my legs. I'll be right back. Maybe that should be our catchphrase at the I end know, of our right? podcast. If it was good shit, I'm gonna shave after, and I'm gonna change my chonies. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Dominic, thank you so much. We can't wait to work with you and Tsunami Bomb again. Hopefully, sometime soon. I don't know when, but I hope so. We figured out I a way like to that. make it work to still keep in touch. So we thank we'll you make again. You definitely tell totally. the band we said hello. I will. And we will talk to you soon. We want to thank you for tuning in to our recent Scary Encounter Encounter with Hazy Chaos. We hope you enjoyed it. If you are not an artist or musician but would like to share a scary encounter you've experienced, please contact us via email at hazy.chaos at yahoo.com for a chance to be featured on one of our close-to-home episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.